Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusul wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya amma ba'd. We continue our study of Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullahu ta'ala's book Ar-Rasul al-Mu'allim. He is discussing the unique traits of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as listed by Imam al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala. We were discussing the uniqueness of the speech of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In our previous class, we covered the first three points. So today we continue with number four. The author rahimahullah ta'ala says, al-khaslatu al-rabi'ah the fourth unique characteristic and trait. مَا أَمَرَ بِهِ مِنْ مَحَاسِنِ الْأَخْلَاقِ وَدَعَى إِلَيْهِ مِنْ مُسْتَحْسَنِ الْآدَابِ وَحَفَّ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ سِلَةِ الْأَرْحَامِ وَنَدَبَ إِلَيْهِ مِنَ التَّعَدُّفِ عَلَى الضُّعَفَاءِ وَالْأَيْتَامِ ثُمَّ مَا نَهَا عَنْهُ مِنَ التَّبَاغُذِ وَالتَّحَاسُدِ وَكَفَّ عَنْهُ مِنَ التَّقَاطُعِ وَالتَّبَاعُدِ لِتَكُونَ الْفَضَائِلُ فِيهِمْ أَكْثَرْ وَمُحَاسِنُ الْأَخْلَاقِ بَيْنَهُمْ أَنْشَرْ وَمُسْتَحْسَنُ الْآدَابِ عَلَيْهِمْ أَذْهَرْ وَيَكُونُوا إِلَى الْخَيْرِ أَسْرَعْ وَمِنَ الشَّرِّ So this fourth point, while talking about the speech of the Prophet ﷺ, is focusing on one of the key teachings of the Prophet ﷺ. That from the words that came out of his mouth, the one thing that the Prophet ﷺ, one of the things he focused a lot on, مَا أَمَرَ بِهِ مِنْ مَحَاسِنِ الْأَخْلَاقِ that the essence of the message of the Prophet ﷺ was sublime character. He taught people to be good people. So when someone came to the Prophet ﷺ, regardless of what they came for, if they heard the Prophet ﷺ, they were going to learn to be good human beings. The Prophet ﷺ, he He called people to that character which made them beautiful and amazing. He encouraged them to be kind and loving to their families. The Prophet ﷺ taught them compassion to the weak and the orphans. And then where the Prophet ﷺ was instructing his companions and students to be good human beings and do good. Rasulullah ﷺ also told them to avoid creating uh, jealousy and having animosity towards one another. 
that don't be jealous towards one another. It'll destroy society. Jealousy is a disease that once it enters into a person, it corrodes them from within. Siblings and students and co-workers, people in society have hatred towards one another. Goodwill is absolutely necessary for love to be genuine. So why is that? Why did Rasulullah tell them to have good character? Why was he telling people to avoid being angry and just in a state of constant vengeance and frustrated when interacting with those around you? So their virtue would be many. They would become good human beings. And good character would become common because when a person sees another that is patient and calm, forbearant, when you see someone smile, when you see someone forgive, you learn from there. Right? I, I was once in Hajj and there were two families that were doing Hajj with us and they both had with them um, their children. Specifically, there were some teenage um, adults, I should say. They weren't young kids, they were older. And at that time in my life, I was struggling with one of my own kids, just molding his personality and helping him be what I hope to be the better version of himself. A lot of anger, frustration, rage. So that whole hajj, I made dua to Allah, Ya Allah, guide me to being a better parent and teach me what I need to do to help him become a better human being. That was the one dua I made that whole hajj. Even at the Kaaba, I made dua for my son. That Ya Allah, give him good akhlaq and how do I help him become a better person? Because he was struggling at that time and I was worried. Some people at that time said to me, he's only a child. Well, that's true, he's a child and there's hope that people will grow out of it. But as a parent, I can't leave it to chance. That's too risky for a parent. How could you leave your child's life to chance? You make dua to Allah and you strategize and you plan. So the whole trip, I was just thinking of this one thing. And then I had these two families with me and I observed them. On one side, there was a couple and they had a son or daughter and the other one had a child as well. And I just kept looking at how this young person was interacting with their parent in both scenarios. And there was a clear difference between both. On one side, the parents were very calm and loving and that was clear in the child as well. Soft, easygoing, quick to do khidmah, uh, when something difficult happened, rather than getting all rowdy and frustrated, I saw that child be patient. Patience, I saw in this teenager that I didn't see in adults across the season of Hajj, busy with adhkar and just a good person, inshallah. So I remember we were in Jeddah and it was time for us to return back to America. And in those days, it may even be the case now, I'm not sure. But the planes wouldn't uh, be connected to the terminal. They would load you on a bus and then they would drive you over to your plane. And then you would use a staircase bridge and get on the plane. So we boarded the plane, we boarded the bus. And I remember thinking to myself as I was standing there, as we were heading to the plane, that I was hoping to get clarity on what technique I should adopt to help my child. And I felt unsatisfied that I didn't 
I, I wasn't able to have clarity there. I didn't know any better what to do when I was leaving than I did when I came. I made a lot of dua, but there was no clarity. So as we got on the bus and we were being hauled to our plane, I once again saw those two families, they were in front of me and the way their children interacted with them. And at that point, it struck me and it hit me. And I think that was the greatest clarity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me in regards to parenting. That there was no technique that I needed to adopt in that moment to improve him. In reality, I had to change myself because a child is a reflection of their parent. That I was being a little rough. I was being a little harsh. And if I were to change my tone, and if I were to be more positive, and if I were to be more calm, that would then translate over into the child. And so that journey began after our return. And I found some very good and positive results, alhamdulillah. So what you say, the child sees that, and that's what they inherit. When they see you forgive, when they see you not holding grudges, when they see, being, when they see you being respectful, when they see that you respect your elders, when you see that you are particular with your time and that you are you know, mindful in your salah and that you give time to your adhkar. And as teachers in the classrooms, that when your students see you, and I say this because over the last few months, um, I received multiple messages. There was a group of teachers from Canada who said that we listen to the podcast regularly as a group of teachers. All the teachers in the school, we, one of the things that we're required to do was listen to this podcast. So for those teachers, I speak, that your younger students are looking at you. That four-year-old child is watching and observing how you keep your cool, how you respond to them, how you embrace them, how you look after them. If you're tolerant with their nonsense or not, people learn from one another. This week, I also received news that... Um, a group of our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated regularly listen to the podcast as well. They sent a letter saying that we receive, we have now access to tablets. So we listen to the podcast regularly. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for them in Grant and Barakah. And we make dua that we're able to benefit from each other's company in person as well. So now, as a result of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam speaking of good character and warning them of the evil of character, the evil character, now the statement of the Quran manifests and it sits well. Where Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, "You are kuntum khaira ummatin nas. You are the best of nation sent to people, sent to mankind." You can only be the best of nations if you are, as individuals, good human beings. Then you become a source of mercy wherever you are. So then, this best of nation holds firmly to the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they avoid the warnings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the, the best of their dunya and their akhirah then manifest in their lives because revelation is now with them so they become the best for their dunya and also for the akhirah. 
فصاروا أئمة أبرارا وقادة أخيارا. So these companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then became the most honored human beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lifted them. They became role models and examples for people to come until the day of judgment. Yes, go ahead. Fourth attribute. He encouraged and actively promoted excellent morals, beautiful etiquette, the maintaining of family ties, and kindness to the weak and orphans. He also prohibited mutual hatred and envy, severing of ties and disunity so that humanity could pro progress in virtue, good character, and etiquette. Hasten towards good and strongly resist evil. In this way, the following words of Allah Ta'ala could be attributed to his followers. You are the best of all nations which have, which has been sent into the world. You enjoy good and forbid evil. His Sahaba adhered firmly to his orders and abstained from his prohibitions. In this way, their religious and worldly well-being was perfected to the extent that Islam was strengthened through them after a period of weakness. And poly polytheism was humbled despite its former power. The, the Sahaba subsequent, subsequently became righteous leaders and rulers. Fifth attribute, the clarity of his answer when questioned and the distinction of his proofs when in dispute. So the fifth thing now, al-khasat al-khamisa, wuduhu jawabihi idha su'il, wuduhuru hijajihi idha judil, la yaksuruhu iyun wa la yaqta'uhu ajz. So the fifth thing that made Rasulullah speech unique is Nabi unique ability to have absolute clarity when answering people that asked questions. Every time you are asked a question, you have an opportunity. If you answer properly, you will guide a person and nudge them on a path that they need to be on. But if you are ambiguous, if you aren't clear, if you mess up that moment, then they will return back with confusion. Asking, question, asking questions takes courage. It's not easy. Not everyone has the ability to come forth and ask a question. For many folks, asking questions from their teachers or from community leaders is something they do infrequently once a week, once a month, maybe once a year that you get a chance to ask what you're thinking. And the uh, interesting thing is that when that opportunity does present itself, shaitan makes people forget their questions. So they, they're not sure. Or maybe out of adab they stay silent. That's also a possibility that they say, forget it, I won't say anything. So Rasulullah sallallahu he was very clear while answering if someone asked him a question, when someone asked him a question, you may recall earlier on, Shaykh Abdul Fatah Abu Ghadda walked us through some narrations regarding the Shama'il of Rasulullah, the personal traits of the Prophet of Allah. And there we learned that Nabi spoke very calmly. He repeated himself, he was very articulate. Rasulullah's words were carefully selected. And all of this gathered together gave the questioner an amazing experience. Pack that with revelation. 
So the content Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was delivering was the best of content. His delivery was the best of delivery. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was presented with an argument, his proofs were very robust and solid. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam knew how to appeal to the intellect and emotions of the people that he was conversing with. The common example and one of my favorite ones is regarding the companion who came to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a young Sahabi, and he presented to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that in that moment he had an urge and a craving to commit zina. So Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's response is so beautiful, so clear, succinct. This in very few words he dissuades him from zina. He says to him, what if that was one of your family members? Think of it that way. Change his perspective, right? That that's not how you think of other people. If you wish to engage with someone sexually in an intimate way, then nikah is the way to go. That there's commitment there. That you are respecting the other person. You're taking responsibility. You're respecting the other individual. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did not have any weakness or he wasn't lost for words when he was answering people. You don't find anyone trumping the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, if you wish to say. And in moments where Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam didn't have a response, it wasn't because he wasn't eloquently able to respond, but because in moments like that, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was still waiting for revelation. And this is from the Mu'ajizatul Nabi and also from the La'ilun Nabuwa. One of the greatest indicators of prophethood was the fact that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at times would not respond to questions while citing that he was still waiting for revelation. And that waiting process, sometimes the Quraysh would use it to humiliate the Prophet That why don't you have an answer now? Where's your answer gone now? They felt superior in that moment that we got him. You know, we got him. But Rasulullah would endure and he would be patient the example of this The Quraysh presented Rasulullah with three questions Rasulullah said I will respond to you He omitted insha'Allah And therefore revelation was delayed As a lesson for the Prophet That in all matters always Make your points contingent upon the will of Allah That's the adab and thereafter, the answers to those questions came rolling in through Jibreel alayhi salam. Yes, go ahead. So the fifth one was Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam's clarity and eloquence when answering. The sixth point, he says, أَنَّهُ مَحْفُوظُ اللِّسَانِ مِنْ تَحْرِيفٍ فِي قَوْلٍ that Rasulullah did not make things up. Just as we just mentioned a few moments ago. He didn't fabricate. He didn't just, like, you know, just say things because he was in a crunch and everyone was looking at him. And so they demanded a response. So in that moment, he just threw something at them. Nabi didn't do that. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
حتى صار بصدق مرقوما وبالأمانة موسوما His truthfulness was always known of him when he was young and also when he was older until the point that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was known among people and he was beautified by being called a sadiq even the Quraysh who did not believe in him they never accused him of lying what they would say is that he is a magician right or he's fooling you and that but they wouldn't say the statement that he's saying is a lie because the Prophet ﷺ was always truthful. He spoke the truth. And as a result of that truth, he was also, a, he was known to be uh, trustworthy. Mausum means that was his alama, that was his trait. That's what people saw in him, that this person is tall, that person is you know, strong. People have different traits they're known by. They knew Rasulullah ﷺ to be trustworthy. So when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam spoke, the Sahaba and his students knew that he was speaking the truth. I've shared this incident here before, that there was a young, I shared this incident a long time back. There was a uh, young lady who I met while I was traveling once. And she said to me that she had a bunch of questions about Islam. So we sat and we were talking. And at the beginning of our conversation, she said to me, I have one request. I said, sure, what's your request? So she said, my request is, please, if you don't have an answer, just say it. Don't run circles around me. That's a very bold statement to make to someone at the beginning of a conversation. It's very loaded. I understood immediately that there was some trauma here and she probably had some rough experiences. So I asked her, why did you say that? Well, she said, well, because I studied most of my life in an Islamic school. And every time I presented these questions to my Islamic school teachers, I was uh, guilted and I was bullied into silence, right? Now, uh, that doesn't apply to obviously all teachers. Every teacher is different. And I'm not even sure, you know, what, what the circumstances were, the Allahu Alam, what the reality there is, but there's still a lesson for us. And the lesson is people know when you're taking them for a run, people can tell. That this person doesn't know what they're talking about. They're saying random things. They're running in 10 different directions. They're avoiding the question at hand. Address my, the issue that I have. So if you have an answer, you say it. And if you don't have an answer, then what do you do, folks? Yeah. You say, I don't know. And be confident in saying that I don't know. Let that be abundantly clear that I'm not making this up. I'm not going to waste your time or my time. What I can do is make an attempt to find out or we can interact with someone or reach out to someone who does know. But in this moment, I don't know. Don't make things up as a parent, as a teacher, anyone. When you're talking about Islam or if you're representing anything, when you speak, speak the truth and be accurate. وَكَانَتْ قُرَيْشْ بِأَسْرِهَا تَتَيَقَّنَا صِدْقَهُ قَبْلَ الْإِسْلَامِ All of Quraysh had accepted Rasulullah to be a truthful person. فَجَهَرُوا بِتَكْذِيبِهِ فِي إِسْتِدْعَائِهِمْ إِلَيْهِ فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ كَذَّبَهُ حَسَدًا وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ كَذَّبَهُ عِنَادًا Yet they continued to reject him. They knew he was truthful. That was well established. Yet they continued to reject him. So why were they rejecting him? فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ كَذَّبَهُ حَسَدًا they were those who rejected Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam out of jealousy. That why was it not us? 
why was it not someone from our clan? You know, it was a tribal culture, so tribes really mattered. Conceding and saying that someone from this tribe was accepted to be a prophet meant it would be a stain on their dignity in their, in their culture. And there were others who, who rejected him out of arrogance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَحَدُوا بِهَا وَاسْتَيْقَنَتْهَا أَنفُسُهُمْ ظُلْمًا وَعُلُوًّا فَانْظُرْ كَيْفَ كَانَ عَاقِبُةُ الْمُفْسِدِينَ That they knew he was right, right? But they still rejected him. وَمِنْهُمْ أَنْ كَذَّبَهُ إِسْتِبْعَادٍ أَنْ يَكُونَ نَبِيًّا أَوْ رَسُولًا وَلَوْ حَفِذُوا عَلَيْهِ كِذْبَةً نَادِرَةً فِي الْغَيْرِ الرِّسَالَةِ لَجَعَلُوهَا دَلِيلًا عَلَى تَكْذِيبِهِ فِي الرِّسَالَةِ Had they even rarely witnessed Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam speaking a lie, then they would have made that their go-to point that he is an unreliable person. That would have been the center of their whole objection against his prophethood. This is an untrustworthy man. He is not reliable. But they couldn't do that because his character was impeccable. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam's truthfulness was known to everyone. People who lie in reality are, 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 are not owning up to their truth. What's your truth? Speak that. What's true in this moment? Could there be consequences to your truth? Yes. But you have to own them because you've earned those consequences due to what the reality is in this moment. Speak the truth. When you enter into a world full of lies, and when that becomes common, human beings lose their compass to morality and being able to make sound decisions. This is one of the biggest issues that we have in today's world. If someone were to ask me, what's one of the biggest problems we have in the Western world today? I would say that it's very hard to know what the truth is. So much information has been thrown at us. The media outlets have tarnished truth with their agendas that at this point, it's very difficult to know where to go when searching for information. And if you don't have sound information and if you don't have facts, then um, if you don't have sound information and if you don't have facts, then how do you make decisions? How do you know what's right? How do you know what's wrong? So in today's world, it's facts no longer mean anything. This is, these are my set of facts and those are your facts, whether it's on a voting issue or whether it's on a gender issue or whatever it is. Facts, the, the, they're being pushed back and forth. So people no longer have a, a firm ground to place their foot on and to make decisions from. That only leads to further confusion because when you have the ability to feed information to people based off of your liking, society will continue to divide. They will far, drift far away from one another. What keeps people united at some level of reality is they have common truths. These are realities. We accept them. These are true things that cannot be denied. Again, the value of and the importance of revelation in our life. That everyone has a perspective, but revelation is a truth. That you have to measure your, your perspective and, your, and, and what you view to be right or wrong while comparing it to wahi. What does wahi say about this issue? What did the Prophet say about it? Yes, go ahead. Seems to add to 
His tongue was protected from distortions and from any statements that could have been attributed to falsehood. In fact, truthfulness and trustworthiness became his hallmarks both in his youth and old age. All of Quraysh, without exception, were fully convinced of his truthfulness even before Islam. However, when he invited them towards Islam, some of them openly delighted him out of envy, obstinance, or because they thought him to be an unlikely prophet or messenger. If they had known him to have uttered the minutest lie before prophethood, they would have certainly used it as a proof for denying his prophethood. The reality is that one who firmly adheres to the truth in his youth will adhere to it to a greater extent in later years. So this is a good point that he brings. There are two, point, two perspectives to this statement. One is from the perspective of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's prophethood being unquestionable, that he was truthful when he was young. So why would he become a liar all of a sudden? He was bound to be truthful even as an adult. And the second lesson for us here is that truthfulness is something that's adopted and embedded in the human being from a younger age. That lies need to have consequences. People should be told and children should be taught and students need to be trained that you don't lie. It's a lesson that you must always be reminded that always speak the truth. In That you speak the truth because salvation lies there and lies will only lead to destruction. Don't shy away from your reality. If you've done something wrong, don't lie about it. That's what a coward does. What you do is you speak the truth. Will there be consequences? Yes, there will be. But by facing those consequences, you will become a better person. Control your tongue. Know that, sin, that lies destroy societies, they destroy communities, they destroy families. By speaking the truth, you will only become a better version of yourself. It takes courage. It takes honesty. But always speak it. And going back to something that we've referenced earlier today, and we will mention most likely for the rest of this class, that truthfulness is learned through observation. People see others being truthful and they learn to be truthful. That lying is not, you know, not acceptable. And we teach our children to lie from a young age. When we were young, um, if someone would call and our parents didn't want to answer, they would, they would say, Go and tell them that mama's not here. Go and tell them baba's not here. So in that moment, the kid enjoys that lie because they're tag teaming with their parents in the lie, so it feels extra good being able to commit a crime with your parent. Like, I was in on this. Wow, that felt great. But there's a lesson being taught that lying is okay in some circumstances. Now, from there, the, the child goes with it and it only grows from there. It's a disease. They say to, to cover one lie, you need another hundred. You need 99 lies to cover one lie. Go ahead. Al Khaslatu Sabi'ah. Go ahead, read. Seventh attribute. His speech was free flowing and he confined himself to what was necessary and sufficient. He did not speak at length as that would have been inappropriate. At the same time, he did not remain silent due to any inability to express himself. So here we're talking about how Nabi had tact and intentionality. When the Prophet spoke, it was the length of it. We're talking about the number of words used to communicate was always just right. Not too few in words or remaining silent at a time where he was needed to speak so the people around him would have no idea what to do or were left confused. 
And neither did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam just constantly just keep speaking and speaking and speaking where retaining that information would become burdensome or people would become bored that this is too much for us. Yes. Apart from situations of need and necessity, none could compare with the beauty of his silence, serenity, and composure. Hence, his speech was memorized without omission, and its splendor was revealed without effect. Its sweetness. Because was... he chose the right words when he spoke, and they were, you know, he didn't use too many words when conveying a message. That, you know, people were able to preserve that knowledge of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam without any deception, without any cheating, without any dishonesty. His state of grace, his beauty manifested. Yes. Its sweetness was appreciated by all, and it therefore remained protected in hearts and was recorded in books. Eighth attribute. He sallallahu spoke and explained most eloquently, clearly, and concisely. So we talked about number of words being used. Now we're talking about the selection of the actual words being used. The vocabulary Rasulullah used. What we may refer to as a grammatical tact. How Nabi built his sentence and how he built his, uh, his, his paragraphs. When Rasulullah spoke, most eloquent. Nabi had the greatest vocabulary. There are full dictionaries dedicated to just understanding the unique words used by Rasulullah. So when we study hadith, as you know, there are thousands of narrations from the Prophet. When you're studying the hadith of the Prophet, it takes effort to first and foremost translate what's being said. Now we're not talking about takes effort like it takes to translate poetry. For those of you who've translated poetry or work in any form of translation will know, translating poetry is cryptic. It's difficult. Not just because the language, but um, many a times they're using language that is sophisticated and very complicated, right? To display their prestige. And then also, poets commonly will compose a statement or a phrase and then leave multiple meanings open-ended behind it. So it takes a lot of effort and creativity to get through poetry. When, it, when you're translating hadith, it takes effort there too. But there the effort is in understanding the eloquent words being used, and not because these were words that were unknown to people, because you don't find the companions asking Rasulullah what does this word mean? They understood Rasulullah spoke a language and used uh, phrases that they were familiar with, yet at the same time carried very, very deep meaning. So there's a whole effort that a student needs to take on in translating the statements, understanding those words. Another thing that's different that you'll notice is that when you read poetry, specifically if it's this more jahili type, you may need to open up a dictionary for every other word that you're using. As for with the statements of Rasulullah in a whole three, four lines, you might need one or two words that, are, that require uh, a definition. So it's not like the whole word, the whole sentence is just very heavy to understand. 
but there are those beautiful words that are there like pearls in the necklace of the statements of Rasulullah So you have the ma'ajim. Ma'ajim are actually a book category which deal with um, their dictionaries of the words that Rasulullah used. So you have thousands of narrations and what these scholars did was, the scholars who cont contributed towards this area of writing, they went through all the narrations they could and gathered the mushkil al-fad, all the difficult words. They list them. So surveyed thousands of narrations, tens of thousands of narrations and gathered all those words together and then published them as ma'ajib. The fact that those books exist uh, show us that Rasulullah vocabulary was vast. Yes. And was most adept in their usage. Dull formalities were never a part of his speech. And it was never... So that's another beautiful point. Ajzaluhum al-Fadl, vast vocabulary. Wa asahuhum ma'ani. And Rasulullah knew how to use those words. You know, like uh, if you meet like someone who's taking like an English lit class or something, they, they, they are exposed to new vocabulary and they force those words into their sentences. It's very artificial, cheesy, doesn't really feel too nice. You're trying too hard. That wasn't Rasulullah Never tried too hard. This flowed perfectly from him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's one of the benefits of, uh, see, that's more common when the words that you learn are learned through dictionaries or in an artificial way you implant those words into your vocab, as opposed to someone um, gaining exposure to words in an organic oral tradition. You hear people using them, you note it down, right? That's why it's important that you surround yourself by people who are eloquent and who are intelligent in their language. Go ahead. Both formalities were never a part of the speech. It was never interspersed with guttural, uh, with guttural sounds. Many of his Joanna and Kedem statements have been compiled and no human speech can compare to his eloquence and rhetoric. Furthermore, his statements are numerous and rich in meaning. His words were easily distinguishable from those of others by dint of their style, which was vastly superior to that of anyone else. His speech is clearly distinguishable from, from the lives attributed to him. He achieved all of this Although Peace did not practice rhetoric or intermingle with people of this branch of knowledge, whether they were orators, poets, or, or people of eloquence. Rather, Peace was more eloquent, and this attribute was a necessary one to enable him to meet the demands of his, of his future. This was also a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wasn't known for being a regular in those gatherings of poetry, yet he was so eloquent in his speech. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him that so he would be able to communicate with his community in a way that they would respect him among the Arabs. Eloquence and, you know, formalities that existed in speech were very important. You had to speak properly. It was their, it was their art, their words, their poetry. That was the essence of, the, you know, what a human being was, what value they had. Even though Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did not regularly sit in those gatherings, 
uh, neither did he have any attribution to them. The Prophet ﷺ still had an amazing uh, grip on, on language, which made um, his message convincing and appreciated, respectable in the eyes of those that he was uh, teaching and working with. So that marks the end of uh, the third point, the uniqueness of the speech of the Prophet uh, One point remains from the discussion of Imam al-Mawardi, the uniqueness of the character of, I mean, the, the actions of Nabi Sallallahu what made his actions unique. And there he examines eight different aspects of the afa'al of Rasulullah Sallallahu If Allah wills, inshallah, we'll start this chapter in our next session. We pray that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala accepts and grants us the to do amal upon what we learn. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sallam Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa